Have you ever met one of those people who just can't be stopped? It's like they're unstoppable. Yeah, I have. Me too. What's their mystique? Nothing stops these people. Welcome to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. You're about to meet some of the most amazing people. They've accomplished their goals despite insurmountable odds. They beat adversity, physical hardship, and traumatic events, and emerge triumphantly. They're people just like you and me, and they're winners. Are you unstoppable? Here's Frankie to show you how. Wow. I mean, you, you look at my friend and I here and you would think we called each other last night and said, hey, let's all wear blue. Uh, we did, but we didn't. <laughs> anyway, I, I want to tell you that I think um, I, I think I have to tell you this because I didn't tell you this before. This is going to be my last week. This is my last week uh, before I go on break for about two months while I have surgery. I, and I'm so looking forward to this and coming back better than ever. For those of you who know my story, um, I will be having a full hip replacement. And you know that my nickname is Bub, Busted Up Biker Babe. And we are now 15 years post-accident, and it is just the right time to be finally getting this done. They kept saying, you're too young, you're too young. But now, I'm not too young. <laughs> I wish I had. I wish I was, though. Uh, my knee is going to come next, and then hopefully that will eliminate like 90% of this pain. And oh, man, I just cannot wait. Just cannot wait. It's such good news. And hopefully I have more good news uh, when I come back. But I have some great news right now. You're going to meet my guest. Her name is Wendy Zaland, and she made the executive suite at the age of 36. Look at her. She's leading the charge to empower women in a male-dominated industry, all with a leadership style that is anything but ordinary. She brings heart, zest, and her native Texas y'all, or as my dear friend Kathy Crafty says, that Texas twang to transform corporate culture. Her energy is infectious and motivates those around her. Now, Wendy Salon shares her secrets to success, encouraging all women to start conversations with one another on topics that are already on their minds. And you can read about it in her book, We Talk, We Lead, or you can stay with us and join us in this conversation if you're watching us live. Welcome, Wendy. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. And um, best of luck in your recovery coming up. I'm honored Thank to be you. your last guest. <laughs> Thank you so much. This is my last week. I've got, I, I crammed everybody in for one week, so it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun week. <laughs> anyway, you have this amazing book. You, uh, but this is Mission Unstoppable. And on Mission Unstoppable, I like to go back to the very beginning, how people became unstoppable. So yes. let's go back to little Wendy. You were living in Texas? Yes. Little Wendy was living in Texas. And when I grow up, mommy, I want to be. Well, that, you know, that's an interesting place to start. So little Wendy grew up in Katy, Texas. And for those that um, know Katy, Texas, it's a big football town. And so um, nights were Friday night lights cheering on the football team. And it was a really, really close knit community. And I think at that point, um, when I thought about what I wanted to be, I didn't know. Um, I loved tennis. I loved friends. I loved people. And I loved the community. And so for the longest time, I just wanted to play tennis when I grew up. And it, it really was that place that you could, you could dream about doing anything and never quite know, um, never quite know how it would end up. So I would say growing up, it very, um, very fortunate, fortunate life, but nothing special. I didn't grow up next to any um, famous people or have any um, senator connections or anything that makes the story um, really interesting, but just a, a normal, normal childhood. Competitive though. Very competitive. Sports were always my love, and by golly, I always wanted to win. 
<laughs> okay. And so did you know anybody in the corporate field? Did your, was your father in corporate? So growing up, my, my father was in the energy industry. Um, he was in oil and gas, but he, but those stories never came home. My very fortunate to have my mother be a stay at home mom and was there every step of the way when we were at school and participate in every function. And so while I would see my dad work very hard, um, I, I didn't know too much about that industry. The one thing that both, both my parents instilled is that we needed an education and not, not just, um, not just to go to college, but to be able to get a job after. Right. And so that it was really the instilling hard work that, um, that I really am grateful for that time, um, that time growing up. So I guess we should tell people that you are the vice president of Enbridge. I am. Yes. yes. The finance. In the finance. In the In finance. finance. That's right. Yep. So, so uh, mm-hmm. college, is that, was that your major? So college is where the story gets interesting. Um, different than the, than the little Wendy. Um, so in college I played um, collegiate tennis. I went to school in Oklahoma and I was going to teach tennis for the rest of my life. And, um, I loved it and I loved the sport, but the competitive nature in me is I didn't want anyone else to have to run my tennis ranch. I wanted to be able to keep my own books and records and really have control over my whole tennis empire I was building at that point. And I, so I was minoring in business. And um, it was in my accounting classes that all of a sudden accounting just became this language for me that I understood. And it was a professor, uh, Miss Kelly, that she, she recognized this talent in, in accounting that I had and pulled me aside. And, and it, it was one simple conversation that really ch- changed the trajectory of my life. And it was, you know, almost what we're doing here. Wendy, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was, I'm going to teach tennis, right? And she goes, well, you know, you can do that with an accounting degree. And I said, oh, okay. And whether I did this or not, I remember the story this way. I think I marched straight down to the registrar's office, changed my major to accounting, and the rest is history. And so it it really shows how pivotal one conversation Mm -hmm. or one person taking an interest in another can really change the outcome outcome of someone's life. Absolutely. So you, she had this conversation. Now, when you were younger, because I, because this this happened to me and a lot of my girlfriends, um, math was not our strong suit. We were told math wasn't our strong suit, yeah. and so when we had a little bit of trouble, it was like, well, you know, you're a girl, you're the... right, yeah, go to English, right, right, and and so I did shy away from from the math. My mother was, you know, she had a degree in economics, she figured it out, but for me, it was that I had this teacher, and he said, you're too stupid for it, and don't even try, and and. I mean, I, I knew what 25% off was like when I went to the store. Of course, don't we all? That's what we're looking for. <laughs> but, but I didn't know anything else. And it wasn't really until I was in my 20s and, and had kids and stuff. I went, wait a minute. Yeah. I get this. I'm not that stupid. Like, right. what was he talking about? And they had just, you know, curved us away from, mm-hmm. from this for whatever reason, right. random reason there was. Right. But did you in, encounter any of that or any of your girlfriends encounter that in, in high school? So I, I definitely think in high school that it was, it, it was something where it wasn't necessarily encouraged. I don't, I don't know if I wouldn't say it was discouraged, but we were definitely encouraged more towards the teacher route and professions um, that are, that are noble that we, we could do. And so when I look back at high school, I never had an introduction to a business class. I never had an introduction to an accounting class. And while I made 
great grades in, in high school, but I didn't find my passion in high school. And it wasn't until I went to college that I started experiencing these other, these other forms of um, industry and really got into my business classes that I said, Hey, wait a second. This is, this is what I'm called to do. So in high school, I would probably say I was, I was a little bit lost coming out of high school thinking I'm going to teach tennis for the rest of my life. Um, I didn't have, I didn't have much, much direction. And so I would, I would share that even if you don't know in high school, it's okay. It can come later on and to try to get as much exposure to different, different fields of study, different educations is, is wonderful. Yeah, I, you know, I say the same thing. I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. But I, I, I've, I've done so many things and tried so many things and, and just gotten thrown into things. Like, oh, oh okay. Okay. I can do that. You know, in my head, if I can do it, I can do it. Right. And, and my sister would get so jealous because, you know, she went to Cornell and she got her, her yeah. you know, all these degrees. And she goes, how come you, you got that job? Because right. I can do it. Right. I, I know I can do it in my heart. I know I can do it. So I can do it. And I think really that's the key to a lot of it. It's just confidence, right? Confidence right. will take you everywhere. Like it really does. So, I mean, I couldn't be an accountant, but <laughs> I bet you could. Maybe, maybe I could. Uh, I don't think, I don't think they, they about a week could show up. <laughs> I try bankrupt everyone. But no, truly. I, but in the book, you, you really make it clear that women, especially women, we need to have these conversations. We need to not right. fear um, somebody getting ahead of us because, you know, that's just a lack mentality. We need to talk and help one another, you know, go through these minefields of, of motherhood and, and, you know, even just getting into an organization, like, you know, with your negotiation and all that, we're going to come back to all of that. But I thought that was kind of brilliant, but what I, I want to start with your leadership style because, you know, I think you started off emulating maybe a man yes, or yeah, his style. Yes. And sometimes you'll see women who are very hard ass because they think they have to be That's right. Right. Instead of just being who they are. Right. And, and so let's talk about the first style of, okay. of leadership. Mm -hmm. Sure. So I, I entered the corporate world, um, Arthur Anderson, public accounting, never having a job except in tennis. And so I brought my competitive nature into that environment and it worked well. I was super competitive. I would have stepped on anybody to continue to climb up. And it was the style that was, that was rewarded. And so I fit in very well. And as I progressed from public accounting into industry, I saw that was still rewarded and I fit in and the guys wanted me around. And it was something that it took me seeing what I was going to become later on, seeing it in somebody else that made me take a step back and say, wait a second. That's not the leadership style I wanted. I, I was everything. I was a micromanager. I thought I was the only one who could do it, right? No one could do it better than me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I could do it quickest. Um, I didn't need help, and I was, I was better working on my own. And, and boy, was there. I wrong, right? Boy, was I yeah. wrong. And it took me being able to see what that ends up in the mirror to say, I need to make a change. And I saw that this isn't the person I want to be either. And I needed to be, I need to figure out who I was and who I wanted to be as a leader and not just emulating what I saw success was. Because I realized I was doing that to win mm -hmm. and I was doing that to continue to climb the corporate ladder as opposed to, to climbing the way I wanted to. Right. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, you know, it's a style. Yes. And a lifestyle, I guess. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's not that attractive in the end to, to right. be that 
that person. And nobody likes to be micromanaged. No. Nobody, nobody, no. nobody succeeds. And, and you talk in the book about the managers who took, um, who, who took, you know, the victory lap for the success that their underlings had, had, you know, achieved. And I had a boss like that in the government and, you know, you zip your mouth and you go, wait a minute, oh. I did that. That was me, buddy, you know, yeah. but okay, fine. You want the credit. You can have the credit. Right. He showed up in different ways to get, you know, kind of massage that bad feeling. But, but yeah, I mean, they did do that. And that, that's really unfair. And like you found out when you, when you give credit to your team, it actually makes you a better manager. It makes you look better. Cause you go, Hey, how smart were you to get that person on your team? Or how right. clever were you to, you know, to give them that job that they would succeed at it. And to me, it's also at the end of a big project or assignment, it's so much better to accomplish that together as a team than it was by myself. And that's really was one of the turning points is what, what does make me happy in the end. And I'd rather all celebrate together because we need each other. We need, um, we need to be able to achieve things together. You can't do it by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was very interesting for me. Although there was, you said something in the book. I'm like, ah, um, what was it? It was, you, you, you were, I don't know if it was when you're talking about negotiation, but something as, or leading as a woman, as yeah. opposed to just as a person. Yes. Because does it make a difference? Does it make a difference if what gender you are? Mm-hmm. I mean, women are, are more intuitive. I think we, we, right. we are a little bit more maternal and that probably might've come out on you in you more once you had your child. Yes. Yes. I, I say that's a big turning point. And the reason that I, that I did say leading as a woman was to not shy away from what, the unique qualities that women bring okay. to leadership okay. and the value that we bring by having, whether it's the maternal side or everyone talks about our intuition, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, the women's intuition and to not shy away from those characteristics, bringing those to leadership. And so, and men have strengths and women have strengths and it's bringing those, those female strengths and characteristics to everyday leadership. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know that I had a, you know, an ultimate boss who was an engineer and engineering types, you know, they don't go in for feelings. Everything has to be, you know, right. Hardcore. Give me, give me the facts, just the facts, ma'am. But you, we talk, you talk about changing corporate culture in your book and I was in charge of changing corporate culture for 60,000 employees. And so, you know, when they said, well, (laughs) it's a big job and they go, well, and without giving them money. And, and so it was, you know, how do you know that something has changed? Cause they're smiling. Well, that, that's not a good, no, you know what? Last year they didn't smile. Nobody smiled. Now they're coming in and they're saying hello. Right. So that's a big difference, but it's a soft difference. And so an engineer doesn't get that, right. but other people get that. Other people get that. That's exactly right. And maybe that's a, a, a woman's way. I don't know, but it was a big win. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it is that feeling and it's, it's this trust that you, you know, that if people are excited to come to work and they're happy coming to work, they're going to be more productive. They're going to do a better work quality. And so part of it is that trust, that leap of faith, that you create a space and a work environment that people enjoy coming to, that you will get better productivity and more value. Yeah. I think another really smart thing you did uh, with your Easter egg hunt was to include the family because people expect us to come to work and leave our personality and our family and everything at the door and you open up, but you know what? We can't because you're still a mom at home. You still worry about your child. who has got a fever. You're still a wife. You're still, you know, a dog owner, whatever. Things are happening outside of the workplace that, that call your attention sometimes. And it's impossible. It's not impossible, but it's not 
ideal to, to have to leave all of that aside. Yes, you can work and, you know, multitask, whatever, but I think it's important to bring the whole person to work and yes. not just a quarter of that person to work. I completely agree. And that was, and the Easter egg hunt was one of those moments that it really helped define that this is where we are taking ourselves as a team and that it, it was for the moment. It was nothing, nothing of this was, okay, let's sit down and have, you know, weeks leading up to it. It was spur of the moment. And it was, of course, we are doing this after hours. Let's have our children there and let's have them feel welcome and they feel part, part of what we are doing here. And it was fantastic. And it also helped the next day when we, when we did let the team know that the children hid the eggs, that they started looking down further as opposed to, yeah. as yeah. opposed to higher. And it got the whole family engaged. And I think when I look at it is when you talk about um, bringing your whole self to work, part of it is knowing when it, what is appropriate to bring your whole self and your mm -hmm. kids to work and what is not. And I think that's, that's a huge deal. Instead of people finding that sweet zone, it's sometimes easier to just say no. Yes. Whereas if you actually say, you know what, when does it make sense? Where does it make sense that we can bring the whole person? That's the way to do it. Yeah. You know, and, and you spend so much time at work. Your children got, want to know what it looks like. You know, where is mommy spending her day? What does it look like? And, and when she talks about it and she comes home, I can't visualize it. So it is kind of nice for them to see where you work and, and have, feel like, okay, I, I, now I feel good. You know, because children are always curious and wondering. What's going they on? Are, and I love to see other team members bring their kids up. And I actually have a secret cabinet in my office that has all toys and games oh, and, nice. and books. And so I actually, one story I, I don't think that made it in the book is there was a, um, a girl who came up and she was in junior high and she asked if she could listen in on a budget meeting. And sure, come and listen. We're talking numbers and accounting. And she was able to make the connection and said, ooh, my dad works in that department. And she went home that night and said, dad, do you know that your department is over budget and you need to figure this out? <laughs> and, and just that connection and her being able to see this is what the office is like and this is what accounting and this yeah. is what accounting does is pretty cool. And none of it's planned. It's just welcoming people. To, to come to the floor and welcoming kids. Yeah. And I think it's really good too, because like, you know, that might've been a career she never thought of. And, you know, in, in Ontario anyway, with, when the kids had the 40 hours of public service that they have to do, one of the things I had thought about was to send volunteers um, fr from the government when I worked uh, into the community, into the high schools to talk about the stuff that they did as volunteers, because wonderful experience comes from volunteering. Um, great business experience you know there, there, there was a, a girl who used to work with us who um, she wanted to be a project manager she was never going to get that on the job because there just wasn't a spot for her to learn on the job but you know what she went to Habitat for Humanity became a project manager there came back with all that experience and up you go right so that's just an amazing uh, thing to be able to do but when you talk about those experiences with with kids they get it you know right. because they don't know what they don't know that's exactly right and and having never been exposed to it they don't know that's what they should pursue and it all and it starts at the very beginning it starts with having the easter egg hunts it starts with creating the space that they know that they're welcome and it, it is that faith that at some point it, it will pay off just I look back on my career and I go back to Miss Kelly at, at my university did she know that one sentence or taking that one minute would play such a huge factor in my life and 
and you never quite know um, the impact you're having. Well, let's talk about that other woman in your life and that other mentor who said something to you after you had your, your son and, and changed your life. Yes. You know, she, she is still one of my closest friends and mentors today. And what made that so special is that we never had that, will you be my mentor talk? It just happened organically. We had worked with each other and we saw a lot of ourselves in each other. And she, she knew me so well that she was able to pinpoint exactly what I needed to hear in that moment to be able to help me. And if she wouldn't have known me that well, um, she wouldn't have. And so maybe I should backtrack and say what exactly what that was. And I, and I say that if my, my life ever gets made into a movie, that this would be one of the scenes that they would do. <laughs> for us, is I'm walking down the hall in a big corporate tower and I have just binders, binders of accounting um, stuff. I don't even know what it was in these binders. You just like, came back from maternity leave. I just came back from maternity leave. And I had decided I was going to jump right back into work 150%. No one was going to know that I was on maternity leave. No one was going to ever question if I was still dedicated to my job. I was going to leave no doubt um, that I am back. I'm ready to go and I'm stronger and smarter than I was before. And I jumped back in and I was working crazy hours. Um, I was still finishing my MBA at the time too. And wow. I just was hurriedly down the hall going to my next meeting and she stopped me. And she said, Wendy, stop a minute. And she didn't ask how I was doing. She knew, right? She could tell in my face. You're manic. <laughs> right. She knew I was being dramatic. I had my 20 binders of stuff I probably didn't need. And she said, Wendy, you don't need to come back. Um, you don't need to come back as quick as you are. You've been gone with your child. Ease back into work. And I just sat there. I sat there dumbfounded because I had no idea um, that's exactly what I needed to hear. And it was. And it was because of we've had these open conversations. It was because we had been vulnerable with each other. And it was also because she had the experience. She had two boys and she was able to see what I needed to hear. And, and to this day, um, she is she's absolutely if I ever need advice for her to see something in me that I don't know, she's one I go to. Did you ever. um were you, did, did you ever have a conversation when being hired about having children? Yeah. You know, was it ever a detriment that, oh, you're a woman, you're going to have kids, so we're going to lose you, or, you know, maybe we shouldn't pay you as much money because, you know, you're going to be off, and uh, that's not such a great thing? So I think what I've experienced now is, is there's been an, a lot of talk on diversity and inclusion and women in the workplace that that overt nature isn't there as more. So I never had someone overtly tell me, um, when are you going to have kids or, or things like that? Um, you do hear the rumblings, of course, and especially having a son a little bit later in life, um, it's always, well, is she going to have another one? Is she going to have another one? Where I saw it play into more was when it came for opportunities to move. So we moved to Calgary um, for my career. My son was two years old. And I must have told 10 to 20 to 30 people, I felt like I was saying this for a year, is even though I have a young kid, we are willing to move. And that's where I saw it play out more is the assumptions being made hmm. as to what we would or wouldn't do for my career because I had because I had children. I would have thought it'd be, she has a husband who has a career. Maybe he doesn't want to move. Right. No, and, and so, and it can come in all, it can come yeah. in all 
can come in all of those different um, different ways. Yeah, and configurations, I, yeah. And I think the important part of that is for others not to make assumptions, um, whether it's because of spouses or because of children, is that is that you never know what one is willing to do. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an interesting dynamic though that that we're you know that we're thrown into yeah. um, that there's something kind of, you know, not a hundred percent about you because you, you could have kids. Exactly. And, and fathers are starting to take their paternity leave and they're starting to do, you know, all of that stuff right now, which is really great actually. But, and I, and I think, you know, I don't know, do you have flexible um, work arrangements at, at, at Enbridge? Yes. Because when I went, when I first started at the government, you know, it was like, here's your pager, here's your phone, here's your thing. Yeah. Always be 24 hours. We don't, we always want to be able to get you. And I'm like, right. are you kidding me? <laughs> like, give me a break. But then, you know, I, I, the entrepreneur part of me, cause I was, I'd always been an entrepreneur and I, I got in there by accident was like, well, since I have all this stuff and my laptop and everything, I, I can't, you don't need me to be there from nine to five. I can, I can, you know, be there at six till two or, you know, work from home sometimes. And, and as long as you tell me when these deliverables need to be on your desk, what does, what difference does that make where I sit during the day? That's exactly right. And yeah. what I've found too is the company can provide these alternative work arrangements, but some of it has to come within us. Yeah. We are comfortable saying me meeting my deadlines and the deliverable is good enough. And I find sometimes, um, especially as women, that we're sometimes our hardest critics. Yeah. And we're the ones that are, we're afraid whether we're going to miss out or that we're going to be seen lesser than or whatever the reason, right? There could be 20 different reasons. Sure that we actually put the roadblock up ourselves and, and we need to have the confidence to, to be able to work past that. And I think that is where we, having these conversations can help that confidence because you can find other women that have gone through this and yes. can help you deal with it. Right. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to merge two things that happened to you. Uh -oh. <laughs> one, one was the conversation. Yeah. One was a conversation about salary. Uh, and the other was really negotiation. So taking negotiation skills and, and salary. And when you realized that, I think I got shortchanged on my salary here a little bit. Like I yeah. thought I was getting a deal, but not really. So yeah. what, what do you, let's talk about that a little bit and then tell women, you know, how they might be able to deal with that. So I, I will have to say that was the hardest part of the book to write. And up until the last minute, it was the, it was the one I wasn't sure to include because grew up, money is something very difficult to talk about. It's something very personal and it is not an easy conversation to have. And what I also find difficult about having that conversation is that you don't want to take away from the gratitude piece of it mm -hmm. is I'm very, gra very, I was about to say very gratitude. gratitude that, that, now you can see I'm the accountant, right? Yeah. Um, is I am very grateful for the opportunities and, and grateful that, that the company has faith in me. And so to try, how do you, how are you both grateful, but then at the same time say, Hey, wait a second, I should have done something different. Um, and that, and I'm, am I a bit blinded by both? And so it, it is difficult to talk about and it is difficult to know how to move forward. So in that, in that moment, and I think in, in the chapter, I, I try to go exactly into my mind that you start with, Oh, wow. Thank you. Oh, wait, huh? Oh, huh? And oh, it's me, right? It's no one but me is why didn't I ask? Before? Well, they, they gave uh, you so many openings. Right. When and I didn't tell them. You did a fantastic job for us, better than we ever thought you could. And there you're like, 
Oh, oh, thank you. Okay, great. Thanks so much. Yeah. Um, so I must have value. I must be worthy yeah. of this position. Yeah. You must be very grateful to have me. Right. <laughs> right? Exactly. And if and you're a man, that would have been right. Yeah. Now, what I will say is, um, is after that, and then, and I, and I give a nod, not ever so slightly to saying I didn't make that yeah. mistake yeah. again. But what I did the next time is I found, uh, I found a sponsor and a mentor to help me through it, yeah. and that's how I realized in myself that's just something. I wouldn't be able to get over. I will always want to try to be positive and grateful um, over taking a hard line in negotiation. And I realized that I was not going to be able to overcome that. So in turn, I was going to need one of my sponsors or mentors or peers to help me through it. And that's the change that, that I made the next time that I went to look at, um, at an offer or salary or things like that is to actually have someone help me yeah. versus try to do it by myself because it was, I realized I was never going to get over who I was. It's just a core part of me. Um, and I wasn't going to get over that. So I went and asked for help. That's excellent. And you know, I was my, my, I once asked my father, he goes, I go, what do you think like is the best thing about you? He goes, you're a great negotiator. And I'm like, wow, that's wonderful. Cause he was an amazing entrepreneur, but I love the art of negotiation and I think it's something, and it is an art. Um, mm -hmm. You know, asking for a salary is always a difficult thing. Right. You know, the worst that's going to happen is you're going to say no. Right. And, and you have to decide, am I willing to take that or not? Right. You know, like how much do I want and how much are they willing to give and what I know about everybody else in the company and what they're getting and all of that. Cause I mean, you, you do want parity and, right. and why shouldn't you, you're doing a fantastic job. Nobody's going to do it better than you. So right. You should, exactly. you should get the money for it. Um, and that's where I think things come down is, is, is that it's not that you're a guy or girl. It's, it's that you're qualified and you're doing a great job. And if you're doing a great job, you should be compensated for doing a great job that's in right. some way, shape or form. Exactly. Exactly. And whether it is in that current role or the next role that it needs to be recognized. And it's not necessarily years of experience. Years of experience doesn't necessarily equate to the value you bring. To yeah, that's right. And I think that is something that is, is hard to get the minds around is those two concepts of experience and then value to the organization. And, and that is the other part too, of, of working in an environment that makes you feel so great that it's okay if you get a little less money. Right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, Spotify, Shopify, sorry, Shopify wants their employees to stay a little bit longer at work. And so they send a cleaning crew to their home for free. Like wow. that's a nice perk. That's, that's a nice, nice perk. perk. That's a very okay. Nice. I'll stay an extra hour or two. Yeah, Somebody's exactly. cleaning my house. Sure. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, the fridge. Oh, I have every, every, every lunch is catered and the chef is there and I come down and it's all free. That's yeah. a nice perk. That is a nice perk and it helps. And because, it helps. And like you you talked about before it is your whole self and it is there are so many different facets to us that it's not just work it's when we go home and who are we taking care of and and our whole life and so those are little things that companies can do to help our whole life and to right. help everything be more efficient yeah i remember one story um about xerox and and xerox wanted to uh, to really understand what was happening in their company. So they sent their senior vice president, their senior executives to answer the customer service lines in the morning. And they did it for like a week just to get that experience and to understand because the frontline staff were saying, we need to have, um, we, we need to make decisions, 
you know, we need to make those decisions so that we can be the best that we can be on the job. And they're going, well, you know, you have to ask a manager, you have to ask a boss. But when they took that role and they saw that if they could just say, you know what, ma'am, absolutely right, I'm going to send you a new one or whatever the case was, right, that that they needed to give uh, their staff award them, with, you know, with that ability to do that. It made a whole difference in the culture then because then they got it. You know, sometimes you're far away from what's really happening on the ground, right? And what I love too about that story is they were humble to say, I don't think I know. So let me go and let me go and listen and let me actually tangibly touch it and do it Yeah. to to say, you know what? I might not know everything in order to make that decision. And I think that's a big key of it is, is there's no way I can know every possible thing that happens in my department. But what I can know um, is the people and I can know, and I can know what they're going through and I can create that environment that they can come and talk to me. Let's talk about the, the decision-making process with your team. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. So it's interesting because one reason that I chose now as the time to write the book is I wanted all the stories um, fresh and it'd be real time and it's not a look back two decades. But in doing that, some of the stories are about teams that I still have and people that I still have. And and that one particular story, it, it was great for the team to say, man, we've come a long way. Yep, I, I remember that, and, and, but we have moved past it. And what I found really as I really reflected on that story and the story that talks about how we couldn't even make a decision on something simple like lunch. And what it really showed me was that if we can't decide lunch – there are other things happening in the team that we need to work on and we need to get to the heart of it. It's never about lunch, although lunch is my favorite part of the day. So sometimes it is about lunch. (laughs) (laughs) But in, in this situation is there was a fundamental issue or fundamental, um, I call it thing because sometimes you can't put a term around it that we needed to solve. That was, that was making our decision making that, that much harder. Yeah. And so what did you do? What did you put into place? So what I, what I did is I first recognized that I was not going to be the one to be able to figure it out. And so I actually brought in an outside um, consultant and I basically gave her free reign to talk to each team member as long as they needed to. And of all the team members, um, some only talked an hour, some talked for eight, nine, 10 hours. Wow. And just to get just someone to listen to them. And it's almost like I needed to get everything out of their brains onto, I say a piece of paper, but I I needed to really, how do you look into somebody's brain? But that's what I needed to do. I really needed to understand what they were thinking and why and recognizing I couldn't do it. And so I brought in someone that they could all talk to and they could, that could listen and then they could help me dissect um, what the main issues were. And then we worked together as a team and we said, okay, here's what, here are the three, four things that are really blocking our decision-making and what's really holding yeah. us back and how can we address it? And some of it was the past that I wasn't even there for. Mm. And part of it was also me being comfortable, letting them disagree. And I say, fight it out in a respectful, productive way, right. but not shying away from the conflict is they needed to be able to air this out in order for us to move forward. And I think conflict's hard. And I think sometimes as leaders, we want, if everyone's at peace and there's no conflict, we incorrectly assume everything's okay. Whereas sometimes, uh, sometimes you need that conflict for us to be able to move forward. 
Yeah. You know, one of the things um, I really, I, I came to love, uh, Edward de Bono was the father of creativity and he created this, this concept, this game, if you will, called six hats. Have you ever played six hats in your, no? In your, no? Okay. I'm going to have to Google it. <laughs> so six hats, it's, it's a team. Uh, if you want to come to consensus, mm-hmm. everybody wears a different virtual hat. And so as you go around the room, when you wear like the green hat, let's say you have to think from the money perspective. And when you come from wear the black hat, you have to think why this is never going to work. And when you wear the white hat, you have to argue why it's only going to work. And so everybody has to wear their hat and argue their position from that hat. And so they get an understanding. They can't just hold their own position. No, I don't like it. They have to, they have to give it to you from the position of that hat owner. That's a it's, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to have to use that. Yeah. Um, I, I love, I thought it was just, yeah, I used it. It works amazing and it, it's brilliant, especially for people who are holding out and, and, and can't exactly. let go of their position. And sometimes too, they don't even know that they're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so this, this forces them, they didn't know they were holding on um, to issues or resentment. And it and allowed them in this hat. I could see that being a great tactic. It's just how do you get people to turn their mind ever so slightly um, to be able to think about things differently? Because the answer is within themselves. I can't change it. Yeah, yeah. All I can do is change the space. I talk about a lot. Change the space. Give everyone a positive, energized space to come into. But the rest is up is up to that. Yeah, and and really, you know, in coaching, it's all perspective, right? You're just cha- same day. Same clothes, same everything. How you feel in them is just a change of perspective. If you're in love, it's like, oh, everything's great. And if you're angry, it's like, nothing's great. It's just perspective, right? That's, that's it. Exactly right. It's, yeah. That's exactly right. So it's, it's very interesting. Uh, because there's no, I'm not going to say there's no science. to be, There is a science in, in a way. But really, it's just you, common sense, which is uncommon. And, <laughs> and right. just, just, you know, hearing and looking. Right. Eyes open, ears open, and, and that's, right. that's it, right? That's, a, that's the big secret, I think. That's the big secret. And to me, it's also, it's the feeling. It's feeling, yeah, what, feeling. What does the group need right now? What does the floor need right now? And being present. And exactly what, what you said, it's, it's, there's a science out there. And absolutely, um, you need the scientific part of it. But then sometimes it, it's these simple stories of, making iced tea or right. Your cooler, your water cooler story water cooler, or it's doing Easter egg hunts or um, puzzles became a big thing. It's finding what works with folks to get them comfortable and we can move forward together. Well, there was a, there was a, you know, back in the day, there was um, a, a train of thought that uh, if you give people like a half an hour in a, in a craft room or get yeah. the band to play, that when they're doodling and doing stuff, their mind is working on a problem that they don't really realize that uh, my mind is just on this problem. And then the, the, the answers come. They just magically come because they've just relaxed enough to, to download what it was or their mind to figure it all out for them, right? Yeah. And it does, it does work amazingly. It does. Another one of my little tricks that I use is um, on a holiday, I, I use St. Patrick's Day is I would just print off six shamrocks um, just from the printer and I would hide them around the floor. And I would just send a quick note saying, first six people to find the shamrocks, here's a, I have a gift card. What it ended up doing is it got everybody up 
and moving around the floor and mm-hmm. going to different places in the floor than they would normally go. And I think part of it goes to exactly what you're saying. You just, you come in and you walk your same path to your desk. You have this routine. And sometimes you just need that bit of a break to go someplace you maybe haven't been in a while or um, interact with different people and your whole thought process changes and it's nothing big. It doesn't cost any money. I had shared. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, And, and it's just that small break and, and it goes back to, and I've talked about faith a lot is I cannot prove that that 10 minutes will be valuable going forward, but I have the belief in faith that it will just by connecting people in a different way. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree with you. Now, I think we have to give credit, you know, where credit is due, and that's probably to your husband. Yes. Because not everybody has a mate who yes. is willing to, you know, be, be, be Mr. Zalon, <laughs> we will, right? Um, and allow you the, the right. space that you need to, to thrive. That's right. I say a lot too, I think it takes an extremely confident man to be able to support and um, cheer on a confident, successful woman. And so I remember, I remember little things. I talk about how he, when he, and he still does this, when he picks me up from the airport, he brings me an iced tea instead of flowers because he knows that's what I like. And part of it too is he's been on all the moves with me and he has been the one on the days that I don't think I can do this and say, no, you can do this. He was the one who helped me start writing the book actually too. I've been talking about it for so long. And he finally said, okay, I'm getting you on a schedule. We're going to see this dream come true. And it, it does take, it, it takes a very strong, confident man to be able to support a strong, confident woman. So what is his line of work? He is a, um, he's a French trained chef. And yeah, so it's, it's very nice, especially for me who I, I belong nowhere near the kitchen. Um, I think the joke is that I can even burn grilled cheese. And um, so it's very, very nice um, to have that compliment. And, and, and he brings it. He, he knows the people at work. He will cook for the department. And um, he's right there in with everything else. Wow. So when he moves, does he, does he ever stay behind and, and stay with his job as a chef? Or does he come with you and, and yeah, he, over? Yep, he comes with me. And right now he's taking a step out of the kitchen just temporarily um as we as we adjust to life in toronto and then the next phases and that's really the beauty of being of being a chef is he can yes and he can come in and out of the kitchen and um it's it's been great nice nice well i think that's that's really amazing and you know it's a it's a really good book and i really hope that women uh, we'll, we'll take the lead, as you say, and, and just have those conversations with one another and not be afraid that somebody's going to get ahead of them or that somebody's going to, um, you know, get the leg up or, or whatever from, from talking to them, mentor them. Like there's, I think that there's enough out there for everybody really. I hope so. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there is. I mean, I know more and more women that I meet, you know, through, through, through these conversations, really through their books and conversations that are, that are, you know, have broken that glass ceiling who want to help more and more women do that. They mentor women to do that. Um, and it, it's brilliant. And I think we have to help, help our sisters. Get ahead. I think the more, you know, even my husband said we were watching the, you know, the news, the U S news and, and the, he goes, I don't know why all of these women don't get together and vote as one like why don't they all just come together and do their thing because they could affect change in such a way if they ever got on the same page right that's so true so true yeah and and i think we can take 
that sentiment down to our organizations and even and even our friend group and that we really have to be there to support each other and my career didn't take off until I truly understood what it meant to support other women and I supported women and I felt the support right back and the other part is being yourself like you don't don't act like a man you don't have to you'll never you'll never win right we can never we can never be as good as men are because we're not men yeah and 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 that's great that's who we are are. and there's so much value we can still bring and we should never shy away from being ourselves so have you thought of your future like where you want to go or so it's interesting because I, I get asked a lot, am I going to write book number two? Um, and I'm toying with a few ideas right now. I think for me, and, and really the, what I really want to do with this book too, is I want to be more vocal. I want to be able to have a, have a face out there and really encourage more women to continue the journey and to continue to climb. And, and one of the strengths that I've, I've, I've embraced, I've been told a lot, is that I'm relatable. People can see themselves yeah. in me. We're up in small town, Texas, and, and went, played tennis and didn't quite know what I want to do. And similar to you, I don't quite know what I want to do when I grow up. Yeah. And how can I use that relatability to encourage and help others? So there could be another book in the work, hopefully more conversations, um, conversations like this as well, and really just to touch as many women as possible. So an event. Yeah, it'd be great, right? <laughs> it'd be great. Yeah. yeah. Either online or in person. Online or in person. That's right. There you go. Wendy, thanks so much for being my guest today. It was really, really wonderful speaking to you. And it's, I think Embers is very lucky to have you. Thank you. And thank you so much for, for inviting me. Say I was a little nervous. It's kind of my first time to do the online thing. So really appreciate um, all your help. Yeah. Well, it's not, it's, it's not rocket science. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Facebook, we're going to say goodbye to you. You stay with me for a moment. And let me just.